Right under the word introduction, this is how we start. Desmond Tutu's quote, um, there comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. Yeah. Yeah. With Finding yeah. Bagpipe Freedom, like what's the river? Who are the people falling in? How do we stop them from falling in? <laughs> yeah. Give me a like great, a I big mean, overview. Uh, yeah. I, it's, I don't even know where to start. It's like such a great quote though. Mm-hmm. Like I think we should all just pause for a moment. And just think about what a great quote that is. Yeah. So like you're you're pulling so like the, you're pulling people out of the river. They've got some sort of problem. Like, you know, well, I think most people don't end up floating down a river. So they've got some kind of problem, right? Like yeah. you can picture you can picture uh, up the river where they came from. Presumably something bad happened, right? Yeah. So so like you know the idea behind this quote is like sure. I mean yeah you want to yank those people out of the river and then you know maybe give them some dry clothes sit them by a fire and like give them some food because maybe they've been floating down the river for quite a while. So mm-hmm. maybe they're kind of hungry. So you can continually do that. Um, and uh, I think his point is the alternative is like, let's figure out why these people keep washing up on the shore of the river. Yeah. Uh, so it's like because... you can do triage, but you can't do triage 24 seven. Once there are so many people at some point, you got to figure out what's the source of the problem. Maybe we could yes. address that. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's, I think that's it, right? I think that's what the book is about in a nutshell. I also think that's what the dojo is about overall, right? So overall, I'm not that interested in um, teaching a person how to express uh, uh, John McDonald of Glencoe, right? Like we can do that. Um, We could do that, but it would be way better to, um, you know, teach you how to fish. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, or better yet, teach you how to teach yourself how to fish. Yeah. It's like teach you how to make your own fishing lures and reels and fishing pole. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think by looking, by finding the root, by finding the root of the problems. Okay. And just, you know, getting really serious about what the root of the problem might be. I think that really kind of unleashes a whole ton of potential. And I think one big point in finding bagpipe freedom and the thing that we really shoot for in general at the dojo is like, we're not, and we'll talk about this probably more, uh, as we analyze chapters of the book, but like, we don't want to do this to play amazing grace, right? Right. Like, like playing amazing grace is going to be a lovely byproduct of becoming a good bagpiper, right? Like I can play amazing grace pretty much anytime I want. And I have to admit, sometimes I do that just cause I need a little amazing grace <laughs> in my life. But the, uh, uh the important thing is we, we develop this skill set, right? We, uh, in business, you might call it like capital, right? We, we develop this skill capital and then we can apply that uh, in any way that is profitable or interesting or, uh, you know, um, that makes us feel joy when we play. Right. That's the important thing. Yeah. We'll probably, and, I mean, I, I think you're going to steer us in this direction, but I think there's it, a lot of pipers yeah. out there not feeling joy on a day to day basis. Right. And that's, that's, that's kind of like, we're kind of like going up river in this as well, where you kind of take the reader back in time as it were and mm-hmm. kind of ask the question, like, why did you get started in the first place? Like, where did this come from? And, and I think this is interesting, Andrew, because like in, my, in my, my side project, the Droning On podcast, I talk to a lot of pipers and drummers. And I, and I really like to ask everybody, how did you get started? And I don't necessarily have empirical data, right, to suggest yeah, this. But I do have, at this point, nearly 100 people, right? So that's, that's close to empirical. Like, that's also almost sure. a one-to-one percentage thing. I have not yet heard anybody give the answer, 
I really wanted to win medals or I really wanted a side gig that I could make some money playing at funerals. Yeah. Right. Nobody's ever said that. Everybody mm-hmm. has some version of I heard it. It touched me or I thought it'd be cool, quirky, you know, like it's that's where it all starts. Yeah. And like so, it really piqued your interest. Right. It yeah. really got your it really got your creative juices flowing uh, and or, or it really inspired you. Uh, or, I mean, you know, it's che- maybe sometimes it's tempting to call it cheesy, but I saw Braveheart and then I just was It's a real dying. thing. Yeah, yeah the I'm Braveheart just, I was just dying sure. to play that kind of music or, um, you know, or maybe you saw so-and-so's funeral and yep. it just was like, yep, that's it for me. I, I think a lot of people around here got started after 9-11, you know, because, yeah. because mm-hmm. the Pipers were so active and in playing at all of these like really, you know, emotional, super important, you know, moments for, you know, police and fire and other um, first responders and stuff like that. And so people are like, no, I want to learn to play so I can participate in that because it's so important. I think there's a lot of that going on too. Those are all great. Those are all great reasons. Uh, But then interestingly, like, you know, uh, I think light, I think to your point, I think a lot of lifetime pipers are just, we compete, Yes. Uh, we play some parades in our band, which, by the way, that's not all bad, but I'm saying, like, I'm not sure that it's totally fulfilling what they had in mind when they began. Uh, right. You then, asked that um, question, like, how is it going yeah. for you, right? It's mm-hmm. like we lose that original reason, when, and we get lo- – like, like you say, the competing and the parades are good, but they Can ought be. to be an expression of that joy, that, and yes. we, we lose that undertone of I do this because I love it, and we, we get into some kind of – Sometimes it's a chore. Sometimes, you know, it's the, I spent so much money on this, so I better keep doing it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, you know, I hold myself, uh, I hold myself as a decent example here where, you know, uh, over time I've, I've fluctuated between enjoying to compete and not enjoying it. Uh, And maybe I'll go, maybe I'll go back and enjoy it again at some point. But right now I'm in a phase where, you know, competing, uh, maybe we can talk about this some other time, but where competing doesn't really solo competing doesn't really do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just don't do it. I just do other stuff. Um, and, and, um, I think I have the flexibility as a piper to be able to apply myself wherever my interests lie. And so that's pretty cool. That's what I want yeah. for everybody. Yeah. Um, what else we got? Well, you do, you do mention that like over time, a lot of us do invest a lot of time, money, energy, so the concept does come up here that there is a sunk cost fallacy sometimes yes. that comes into our minds. Maybe 100%. could you talk to us a little bit about what is a sunk cost fallacy and how does it manifest in Pipers? Yeah, I'll try. So a sunk cost fallacy is the idea that, oh, I've, I've invested so much into this thing or this idea that I can't give up now. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the sunk cost fallacy. And it's a fallacy because if you're doing the wrong thing, you absolutely must give up now. Because you can't afford to sink more, uh, more cost into something that's not, you know, heading in the direction that you want to go. Headline remember, for this episode, Andrew Douglas said, quit bagpipes now. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, sure, you could do that. Uh, I, I, by the way, a ton of people do that. They're like, wow, <laughs> I, can't happen, afford, <laughs> I can't afford to sink any more time and, and money and passion into this nonsense yeah. so i quit how many people do that tons of people do that anybody tons, who tons, runs tons. like a community class as part of their band knows that the yeah. ratio of people who come in the door versus those who end up on pipes it's a 
pretty big uh, difference. <laughs> yeah. And then how many people get their pipes and don't end up in the band or don't end yeah. up playing really, right? Yeah. They end up they end up with a set of pipes that they're not going to use. So, so the, yeah, a lot of people do quit. I think, it, I think we should be able to achieve a much higher success ratio than like, you know, I don't know, Jim, what your instinct is, but if you get 10 people in a room, how many of them are going to end up playing the bagpipes? Um, Maybe one. I would, I would guess I was going to say 0.4 of them. Um, yeah. So, right. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope you get one, but it should be much more than that. I think, um, I think some creativity, um, we can really achieve that. Um, what was the original question? Oh yeah. Sunk cost fallacy. So I think that's, I think that's a lot of the reason a lot of people dig into this and they continue to do the things that don't really, um, that they don't really fully enjoy, like Mm -hmm. the, the, the non fully enjoyable aspects of piping. And I think it also makes, it makes a person afraid to go backwards. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what, what we have with a lot of pipers, I'd say 96% of pipers worldwide are paralyzed by a uh, technique that's not workable. I think mm-hmm. it's at least 96%. So 96 out of 100 pipers have bagpiping habits that are so far off course that, at, uh, that if they continue in that direction, there's no chance. But, but we of, might have of, been that far off course for decades at this point in our, in our lives. Yeah. And so it's weird to go back. And don't misunderstand me. I don't mean that there's no chance for you to win a prize in whatever grade four senior. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's no chance for you to get to that point where your technique is strong enough that you feel free to explore whatever kind of piping interests you. That's what we mean by, you know, that's what we mean by free or that's what we mean by achievement. It's like you're achieving the, the ability to, oh, like, oh, that band asked me to play with them this year. Cool. No problem. Or like, oh, mm-hmm. I want to join a little bag ad. I want to join my little bag ad club. We've got a, uh, we've got a bag ad group of pipers in New York that get together and play and like, cool. Like you should have the skill to hop in on that. If that's something that interests you, or if you decide you want to play solos, or if you want to play with a guitarist, uh, or, or if you want to play for your church with the organist, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, these are all things which I think most pipers would shy away from because they're in that group of 96. They're in that 90, that 96% of pipers that actually don't have any of the skills that they really need. Uh, and so they're sort of boxed in. They've got the one, maybe two things they can do. They can play, they can play in the great local grade five band, uh, and they can sort of struggle through a two four march uh, uh, in the solo competitions, and then they're just kind of frozen in time in that spot. Um, yeah, that's a shame. That's a shame, in my opinion. I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's okay if people just get a set of pipes and they want to horse around, but. I think well, even for there those, should be room think, for that, right? Like some of us, yeah. that's all the more we'll ever want, and that is fulfilling, and there's the joy there, and you know, mm-hmm. good, great, that's great. Yeah, I think for most people, you can only tinker for so long before you want to know what's next. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So or I, maybe I, I we think... don't even quite articulate that in our heads, but for some reason, the spice of this is gone, yes. and maybe we don't realize that that's because you need to, you like a little work means a little more joy, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like this back and forth thing. Yeah, like we don't really want uh yeah. It's like the same um, reason people it's like it's like getting rich, right? It's like we don't really care about the money, right? We care about the freedom and the sovereignty that it can bring. Yeah, oh sure, yeah. Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. and that's what piping is too. So it's like piping is only fun insofar as you f- feel free uh to express yourself. 
Yeah. And it sounds weird because the bagpipe has a military sort of, uh, has, has that sort of like military background and maybe that sort of like regimented reputation. Right. But that's not what it is. Right? Yeah, it, do, it does happen, of course. You, you can see people play it like some famous performances of Pibra come to mind where you can see that the performer is like lost in the music, you know, and there's that kind of like, it's more of an image that you might imagine with like a violin player whose eyes are closed and they're swaying with the music kind of thing. That's yes. not maybe the typical image you see with the Highland bagpipe in one's mind, right? It's more... Although it kind of is at the highest levels. Right. That's that's the thing, yeah. right? It, it is there. Maybe it, it's kind mm -hmm. of mm, hidden a little bit in that like you see so many other uh, pipers maybe that aren't in that situation mm -hmm. and we are often ourselves in that situation like I'm thinking to myself like how many hours of playing am I lost in the music versus hours of playing when I am just like try, just just heaving my guts out trying to keep up at the two hour long practice you know um, yeah. or frustrated because my droning is my drone is not tuned and I can't get my drones tuned and, and all kinds of other stuff yes uh, exactly I mean there's going to be an element of hard work involved yeah. in getting yourself to the point where you can get lost in the music. Mm -hmm. So like there's always going to be a delicate balance. Um, uh, but it's important that there is some balance there and there's not zero of one and a hundred percent of the other. So yeah, kind of, kind of looking at that as like, there's kind of the goal. And then like, you know, I'm, I'm imagining like here in my mental picture here, I've got uh, the Piper's Dojo as an educational um, establishment, pulling Pipers out of this proverbial river. Um, and then saying like, what it, where, why are they falling in in the first place and looking up river and finding a, a few things that you suggest is like, maybe you had a tutor or a, you know, like a band leader who had a hard time conceptualizing something that you were mm -hmm. struggling to grasp. And so they just kind of moved on. So you've never quite had the instruction in the right way to get that. Right. Like, yeah, that's one possible cause. Like maybe there are a lot of other reasons too. Um, but, um, what, what else do you see as like? Why are people falling in? Uh, you know, having having done this for a while, why why do people fall into the river in the first place? Yep, yeah, I think uh, I think these are all great questions. I think the main reason is because most teachers can't do the fundamentals, mm. right? That's a that's a reason. And um, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just stating the facts. So, if, like, if it know, makes anybody else feel better, Andrew, as I have read this book and also listened to the audio book on every pass, there have been several parts that really sting for me because I have yeah. taught people how to play and I don't do those things right. You know, it's like, Oh, yeah. that's, that's uh, I should call somebody right now and be like, I'm really sorry. You remember years ago when I told you how to play bagpipes, I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talk, we talk very, uh, we talk in a lot of depth in the book. There's, you know, there's 10 sort of essential bagpiping fundamentals that we've, that we've identified uh, and mm. that we work on at the dojo and um, I invite anyone to check it out. I mean, you could even do it informally if you know somebody involved uh, with teaching at the dojo. But it's just like, uh, it's very rare that you hear a piper who can do the 10 basic things well all at the same time. And if mm -hmm. you think about it, uh, like think about juggling 10 balls at the same time. Like yeah, I, can I can't do, that. do 10 anythings very well at all at the same time. But that's what bagpipe, that's what, um, that's what good bagpiping is, right? That is the and quest. if you can't, and if you can't, um, and, and maybe we'll just leave people hanging on that. It sounds kind of like hocus pocus, but I think once we get into the 10 things, people will see like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. But mm -hmm. we need to be able to do those 10 things at least to a minimally viable degree. You have to be able to uh, in order to effectively teach someone else. 
Like, mm-hmm. I think that's ab- like, that would be like in a, a minimum baseline, or you at least have to have a very solid understanding of what those 10 things might be. So mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, I think when, when average person goes to average local band, they're mm-hmm. not getting the best instruction. So, uh, so bad habits start to develop and then you kind of get stuck. And unfortunately we, unfortunately you might be loyal to that band and you might just be reinforcing those bad habits and those blind spots for quite a long period of time. In uh, your own playing and possibly in other new players as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to separate, it's important to separate, uh, people from their abilities. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not saying like no one in these local bands means badly. Like as a matter of fact, most local bands I've been to people mean really well, but the bottom line is, the bottom line is, however, you know, that there's, you know, big blind spots and what's going on. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of sort of bagpipe dogma that's filtered down over many, many years and decades. Mm-hmm. That's not quite right. That needs to be, you know, that needs to be tweaked. And then you also need follow through, right? So it's like, if you have a great instructor come in and work with the band a couple times a year, like that's not enough mm. uh, generally, right? It's kind of like if I had somebody who was really fit take me through a workout once every three months, it's not going to get me fit. Mm-hmm. There's a you... slight chance. There's a slight chance I'm a self-starter and I'm really smart and I can extrapolate what to do across the next three months on my own. But maybe that represents 0.1% of, you know, uh, of students. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, like the, uh, the overall approach I think just needs to be tweaked. It would be pretty obvious, right? It would be pretty obvious if that's how you tried to teach somebody how to read. Sure. Just bring yeah. in, just bring in an expert reader a couple One, times a year once to work with the kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like, we all know that's not going to work. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, we all know that's not going to work. And then bagpiping is kind of similar. And I don't think you need a Jack Lee or a Stuart Little or a Richard Parks uh, in, in your band in order to be successful. That's not really what I'm saying, but you know, I think that we need, I think that we need some kind of plan to, you know, keep things on the up and up. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it seems to me like um, I don't want you to feel like I'm putting you in a position where you are, where I'm like pushing you to be critical of the piping community community in general, right? Like right. it does occur to me like there's there's a thing in British politics that I think is called the loyal opposition, right? Where like, and I don't understand it perfectly well, but like there's like a subgroup within a party that their job is to point out the problems with the party for the party's good. So they're loyal and they're, that's why they're pointing out these issues. And you do mention Mm -hmm. in this introduction that like our piping community is in general in decay. And I appreciate that you mentioned Braveheart before, because in the footnote that one thing that the one thing that maybe made me laugh out loud in this introduction was the footnote is, and it's not just because it's been too long since Braveheart came out. (laughs) Right. Yes, exactly. But you do explain a little bit that like maybe the general piping community has told you, dear reader, um, that all you can ever hope to be is a cookie cutter piper, you know? Yeah. Like, so what systemic problems do we need to like weed out of the community in general or push Mm -hmm. against? Maybe the push will always be there and it's just a constant struggle to keep it at bay, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's like so true, right? So, so I'm... We'll have to try and piece together how mm. this works. But I think that you, you um, even if you mean well, and again, it's like, I think people do mean well. Yeah. So you get out there and you work with a bunch of beginners and you're working with your local band and you mean really well. Uh, but then it just gets to the point where you personally don't have 
any, any more ideas about how to make this group any better. So, mm-hmm. so like maybe, maybe if you're really successful, you get your band up to like a grade four standard. And again, not everybody competes, but like, you know, a good intermediate standard, but you can't really get beyond that. And then you start to think to yourself like, well, if it can't get beyond this, no matter how hard I try, like this is probably pretty much as far as it can go. Mm-hmm. And the other people, the other bands that are better, you know, it's just because they have more good players. And by the way, more good players can help, right? But they had to have come from somewhere, right? Or, or it's like, or it's just because, you know, those people have the ear or it's, it's, or it's you know, just because, because the judges like them and hate us. Oh yeah. That's a good, that's a good one. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So you come up with a lot of reasons why, uh, you come up with a lot of reasons why you can't actually get yourself to the standard. Yeah. Right. But then if you compare it to any other activity out there, it just kind of seems ridiculous. I love the, um, who's the creator of the Khan Academy. I forget his name, but he had a, such a great Ted talk where he just explained that, you know, 200 years ago, it would seem ridiculous, utterly ridiculous. If you said, um, that it's possible for everybody, uh, in society to learn how to read. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, uh, now it would seem ridiculous to suggest that there are people who can't read and, you know, common sense exceptions aside, mm-hmm. right? Obviously there's Surely. people with yeah. learning abilities and whatever that learning disabilities that might have trouble reading or whatever, but now it would seem totally ridiculous if we said, uh, you know, actually there's a huge portion of the population who can never learn to read. It's obviously yeah. ridiculous. You know, everybody with the basic capabilities can do it. We've sort of proven it in the Western world with like really cool educational systems that actually approach things the right way. Now, like, you know, I'm sure there's probably ways that we can uh, teach students way better than we currently do. That's not, so I'm not saying there's no room for improvement, but I'm just saying, obviously, yeah, obviously literacy reading words is uh, totally possible for everyone Mm -hmm. to do. And obviously, so, so, you know, it would seem ridiculous if I said, you know, by the way, Jim, like only half of your kids are going to learn how to read. Sorry. That's just the way (laughs) it is. Uh, and, um, and obviously that's ridiculous. And then it's also ridiculous to say anyone who's interested in learning the pipes, it's ridiculous to say like some people just won't be able to do it because they don't have it. They don't have, they don't have that certain something. Right. And that's an idea that permeates all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an idea, you know, and it, it's a, an idea that they use to filter out who the top players are going to be at the highest levels, but it's also an attitude that filters all the way down, uh, to beginners. And it's like, Oh, like little Timmy just isn't getting it. So let's give him the, uh, fill in the blank mallet of choice. I, I was going to say, what's he going to say? Is he going to say base mallet? Is he going to really say that? <laughs> <laughs> I have a rep. We've been through this on your podcast. I have a reputation yeah. <laughs> for making jokes at the expense of tenor drummers. But yeah. uh, as we all know, I have nothing against great tenor drummers uh, at all. But you know what I'm saying? But my point is that we identify really early. Oh, you little Timmy, he just doesn't quite have it. Yeah. Uh, or Bob, Bob's probably too old to ever get good at bagpipes. That's, that's probably an even more common one in our community. Yeah. I think that's, that's yeah. pretty, Stephanie Burns addresses I, that sometimes in some of her books uh, in particular. It's like, I'm 58 years old, so I know I'm probably never going to get anywhere, but I'm, I really want to learn the pipes. It's like, okay, we can do all of that except for that little piece of attitude that says you're never going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like we can definitely get somewhere. Now, you know, it's probably unlikely you're going to go head to head with Fred Morrison at the Glenfiddich. Like, okay. 
but that's not really, I, I, I bet you even, I, I, I don't know Fred super well. I know him a little bit. I, I, I doubt that's the reason he pipes. And that might be a key part of why he plays the way he does, man. Mm-hmm. Watching Fred play, I've never seen him play live, but in YouTube videos and such, like, there's a guy who's lost in the music, you know? He's, mm-hmm. he's having a great time. Yeah, um, and you mean lost in the, you mean lost in the good way. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, so, I definitely mean are, in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> some people are lost in the bad way. Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, just to try and summarize this discussion, I mean, it's all good points. And yeah, it's like, where does the suffering come from? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, why are pipers washing up on the shore? Uh, like, let's go all the way back and figure out why. And that's, you know, something that I've always been passionate about. And I think the dojo does it really well. If you have, if you have the, uh, if you have the, what's the right word? The, the humbleness. Uh, if you have the that comes into have, it, yeah. yeah. If you have the uh, courage, if, if, if you have you the can courage, kill your ego sufficiently. Yeah, if you have the courage, like let's go back to the beginning and see what pieces are missing. That can be. It can feel like a daunting task, you know. Like it does to me a little bit, even reading the book. And I, I'd like to think I'm pretty open to continuing education, but you know, to admit that like I really do need to go back and just work on like simple finger work because my like my f doublings are manifesting as like not nice and that yeah here i guess here's the thing andrew f doublings a classic right uh, f doubling you're the problem with your f doubling (laughs) the well the problem with your f doubling i've never even heard you try one but you can tell i remember (laughs) i probably have but like i can tell you right now that you don't have an f doubling problem it's not a thing you, you, an F doubling is just two of the easiest grace notes on the Highland bagpipe. It's two uh, G grace notes. So why the heck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like really, that's all it is. And and there's a, there's a perfect example. So I could pull you out of the river and we could drill F doublings together. Yes. Yeah. Or we could go back and figure out why they why they're a problem in the first place. So here's here's what I I, I want to push out of you just a little bit more, Andrew. Too is that like we. This book, I feel like, focuses back at the beginning of the river where people are falling in, but it also focuses forward in a way that, to me, is not always expressed. Like, this feels somewhat new to me, where you you suggest that the goal here, right? So it's like, where where were we heading in the first place? So it's not, we're not just looking back to why are people falling in. We're also looking ahead to where do we want to mm-hmm. get people to? Where do people want to yes. get to? And that mm-hmm. is being a true musician, is the way you put it right? Love it. Yeah. So what, and maybe, maybe I'm making you repeat yourself a little bit, but what does it mean to be a true musician? Right? What does it mean to be a true, what does it mean to be a true writer Hmm. or a true basketball player hmm. or a true chess player? Right. Uh, and then, you know, uh, so sometimes by looking at those other things, it can help point to what a true musician is. And then for me, so it's somebody who has control over the fundamentals of their instrument, whether it's the chess pieces or whether it's the, the pen, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, or whether it's the basketball and the, you know, uh, you have control over your, in, over the, you know, fundamentals of operating your instrument such that you can truly express yourself and your cre- creativity and what's important to you. Mm-hmm. That's what a real musician is. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the bagpipe world that, uh, I think accidentally, I don't think it's, I don't think there's anything sinister going on. There's a lot of things in the bagpipe world that accidentally uh, shield, uh, the, shield our view that the yeah. end goal is actual self-expression. 
Yeah, I feel like right? I can feel that. It's it feels almost like there's there's such a big pile of like do your doublings right, um, blow steady, etc. Like those yeah. things are so important. Well, the competition that, like, system. It's very it's very tempting to say, oh, the competition system uh, is something where the goal is to play something that pleases the judge the best, right? Mm. So um, so you might be tempted to say, like, cool, so my job is to just play the way the judge wants me to play. But you'll notice that's the opposite of creativity. And then the irony is any good judge, what they're really looking for uh, is actual musicianship. And, and it may or may not exactly line up with how they would do it, right? Like when I'm, when I'm judging someone, I could care less, like, you know, please – please give me something with a nice groove and like, you know, give me a bagpipe that sounds like nice to the ear. And like you, you, the odds of you winning just went way up, has nothing to do with my personal style. And I'm certain most judges would agree. The other one that's really common is playing in the pipe band. Mm -hmm. So it was like, Oh, playing in the pipe band means uh, just doing everything exactly the way that the pipe major wants it to be played so that we can play in unison. Right. Which is also which also doesn't it it also doesn't seem to line up with creativity. But what a real pipe band is is a group of real musicians, each individual uh, having uh, con real control over their instrument. But it's a group of these individuals getting together and agreeing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, agreeing to temporarily adopt the same style together because you know the the. Um, what is it? The product will be more than the sum of its parts or something right. like that. And yep. that's a really exciting thing. Yes. Um, and that's, so that's, that's where what, the magic of it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think Inverary is a, is a great sort of like decentralized band in that way. Like there's so many different people in Inverary that are involved in developing the voice of the group. And a lot of people think that, uh, you know, this is that Inverary is just like Stuart's vision. But I think he would actually be, and I, I'm, I don't let me put words in his mouth, but I think he would be proud to say that's not what it is at all. It's like a big mm. team of people. And yeah, like he, but it's mainly just, you know, his sort of like wisdom and experience. He really just kind of like guides the ship and then he lets other people, like I'm a little bit involved in some of the composition of some of the music, right? And then there's so many other people in the band that do different things. Some people tune the drones and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. So mm. I think like, you know, uh, I think that's what a band really is. Uh, you know, group groups of people bringing their talents and their interests and their own personal special control that they have over their instrument, bringing it together to create like something really big. So those things may seem from the outside or it might seem when you're in the thick of things to be anti-creative, but it's essential that that we realize that's not what it is. Those yeah. are those are opportunities to express your creativity. It's it's striking me that like the the title finding freedom you know it feels a lot like this is if i'm putting if i'm giving my locus of control to someone else to the judge or to the pipe major right i instead of possessing it myself maybe that's wherein lies some of the problems right if i can take that locus of control back then i can find my own joy and i can then elect to become a part of a pipe band if that's what I'm doing or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but I'm maintaining that sovereignty and I, I have that freedom and it, it's not just freedom of expression. It's also freedom of like, I do this cause I love it. Not just to please that old guy with the clipboard. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, and by the way, this is a topic for another podcast. Mm. It's a very deep rabbit hole, but I also think that's a big problem with uh, judging. 
Mm. Right? I think judges misunderstand what their job is. Okay, now, granted, I'm just a young judge. You know, I probably shouldn't be saying stuff like get this. Ready but I get ready to get chased out with pitchforks, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think judges misunderstand. So when I judge, okay, don't tell anyone. Uh, but when I judge, my, the, question, the real question I'm asking myself is, how successful is the performer mm. in, uh, in expressing themselves? That's really what I'm asking. Right. And then all of my feedback is going to be relative to that. Right. I think it can be I think it can be really tempting as a judge to say, all right, which of these players had the fewest faults? Yeah. OK. And who had the most faults? And like, you know, which players, you know, drones had a little bit of waiver in them. But sometimes you can have a couple of technical faults, uh, even though the degree to which you're truly expressing yourself is far more impressive. Mm -hmm. I had several judges over the years reward me for that, and that really left an impression on me. Uh, I remember when I won the Nickel Brown, a little anecdote, when I won the Nickel Brown, I was, I just turned 14 years old, I think. Uh, and the Nickel Brown is a very prestigious, uh, high-end, it's like the highest level amateur competition. There's, there's another one in Ontario called, called the George Sheriff as well. But you get invited to these. And I remember I got invited and the general attitude from um, my teachers was like, cool, like just go up there and enjoy it because you're not really ready to win this thing yet. And I won it. I, got, I had two firsts and a third in the Peep, mm. uh, the Peep Rock. Um, Brian May won the Peep Rock that year. Just an incredible Peep Rock player. But, uh, but I had two firsts and a third, and Jack Lee was the judge. And, um, and I have a funny feeling that I, was, I, I did not win it because I had the best technique Right. I think it, I, I think it was probably more along the lines of I was the closest to expressing myself in, in a in a really nice, meaningful way. Right. It's interesting the, that you yeah. were told go and enjoy yourself. Yeah. Did, did that not give you freedom, right? To Oh, but it also made me mad. It <laughs> oh, also made me mad. Though. Did it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like don't forget the fun parts of competition, folks. Like yeah, when someone tells you they don't have high expectations. That just makes me want to get in there. That, that's like, true. Like I, I, I have been heads. guilty so many times of like really being too negative about competition. There is some really cool stuff that comes from yeah. the competitive mindset and the experience of competing with fellows and stuff. It, yeah, you, I think there's a way. I think there's a way to do it the right way. Uh, and and like I love competition, but I refuse to take myself too seriously. Mm. Um, and that hasn't always been the case. I remember hating shots. Back when I played in the SFU. The whole band? <laughs> just no, like, like just me personally. I, I'm sure Terry and Jack were fine with no, it. No, I mean, no, like, yeah. you oh, just yeah, like a blanket, just like, yeah. what, you were shot? I hate I you. Hate those guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, not really. No, I had good, we had, I had friends in the band, but like the idea that they beat us, I remember just I can imagine the, the rude nicknames that you probably used for them. <laughs> oh, for sure. And that's like, so, so that's, you know, that, that's when I was younger. And like, you know, now that I'm older, I still love competing. I still do not want to lose. And I'll do, you know, whatever I can to win. But then if you don't win, it's kind of like, cool, at least I lost at something that really doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Uh, and and I can you still and be proud are... of my performance and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You can like choose to play the game kind of thing and thereby get yeah. the good out of it without really getting bent out of shape when it doesn't go well. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I, don't, I doubt I was the first, but, you know, I was, you know, I, this year we lost the Worlds to Field Marshal and, you know, you know, when I was on the plane ride home, I sent Richard a quick email congratulating him because it's like really amazing and they sound mm. great. And that's just the way that it is. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, and so, so you can enjoy competing without getting too worked up in the results. However, do as I say, not as I do. Because like, you know, in the solos, I really struggle. I, I can't, like, that's one of the reasons I don't play solos uh, at the moment. It's just, it doesn't, for whatever reason, I have, I have a harder time, you know, controlling those like pointless emotions. Mm. Like you think you played great, but you don't get a prize and then you feel really upset about it. And that's not kind of like, that's kind of not how I want to do, how I want to be. Mm. So you, you, know? you recognize that this is not an aspect of yourself. You're, you're dealing with your shadow. Yeah. That's good. That's good though, Andrew. It's good to recognize yeah. it. That's the first step. It's okay. Yeah. I got other as, stuff going on. As the salesman at the end of Tommy Boy said, first step is figuring out the source. <laughs> next step is washing it off, right? So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love that. Oh, that. That's a good quote for the next book. There you go. <laughs> um, so do, we, can, we can stop there, Andrew. But if you'd like to, since we're at, talking about the introduction, is there anything you want to say about like, the book logistically? Like why write it? What was it like to bring it together? Um, how to read it? Anything like that? Um... It's an interesting question. It seems like I wrote it so long ago. And by I, let's not forget, Camille helped me a lot. So, so one of the reasons I wrote the book when I wrote it is because it became clear that Camille would be an ideal partner to help me with the process. Mm. So like, obviously I'm not like a professional writer, uh, but Camille kind of is, and she's she an editor is, yeah. and she has tons of experience and stuff. So, so she kind of helped me through the process. Um, and what I would do is I, we started off with just like bullet points um, that I sent over to her and she kind of would write it and then I would give her notes and then we'd go back and forth, which is inevitable. But then like as we got our process down, I started to actually write the chapters mm. uh, in, in much more detail, which gave her a lot more to go on, which, you know, so we needed fewer like back and forth style edits. But yeah, like, you know, the book can be read at, hopefully – the, the goal is that it could be an enjoyable read start to finish and mm -hmm. there's anecdotes in there and like there's a little bit of storytelling and a little bit about me in the book uh, but it can also be a great primer like um, Rab from the Big Rab Show he always like he always gives me a, a little Facebook message every time he goes back to a chapter and like mm. he, he's actually using it like to help him guide the process of learning how to play the pipes and I'm kind and of envious of that really to do. it'd be great to have right from the start yeah, but I mean, you can go back through. It'll be all right. Oh I, oh, I have. And that's the thing. So for me, Andrew, like I, I consumed the audiobook in one afternoon, you know, hit, kick it up to 2x speed and, and that's an easy enough thing to do. But then 2x I'm, speed. Dude, 2.25, two and a half. Oh, man. But, uh, you know, sometimes too. taking it in smaller chunks, you know, um, is so like everything's valuable. My, my, my band actually, Garden Valley, um, used some of their grant money just recently to just get copies for everybody in the band. And we're nice. taking, we're doing like a, like a book club, basically like this week's nice. reading is this and then, you know, discuss. <laughs> so yeah, well, lots, that's, lots so that's of ways one to way to do it. it. Yeah. That's one way to do it. I, I think the best way would be to read it. And then you realize, holy crap, this is like, this could be a huge game changer if I actually implemented this stuff and then so you go back to the, the beginning, vision, kind of get excited. Yeah, about and then, it. You go back to the beginning or maybe more specifically, go back to the first technique chapter mm -hmm. and just start working through that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you can also go through, like, you can also uh, use it. Obviously, the book hopefully helps promote the business. And so if you get a Dojo U premium membership or a basic membership, actually, I think we do it for basics too, you know, you can actually just dive right into the freedom process with our community. You know, did you just sort of um, did that. you just call subscribers at the basic level basics? 
Yeah, basics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but it's an endearing term. It's a near. Yeah, we, we that's a, we people wear that as a badge of honor. Dojo. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interestingly, most people are premium. It's kind of an interesting thing. Um, most people see see the value in the upgrade. Mm. Uh, not not everybody, but most people. Mm. So, uh, but either way, and it's something that everything we do at the dojo is sort of geared around the um, the freedom process. So, one more question, if I may, Andrew, kind of kind of on a personal level, kind of poking at your heart, maybe a little bit. Okay. Are you able to read this book and stay calm, or are you the kind of person who can't help? finding every little thing that you wish you'd written just slightly different. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, it's a little bit. Uh, some, some things make me cringe a little bit, mm. but it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Maybe that's some of the benefit um, of having an editor, you know, that yeah, having, and having did that, processed you know. it with Camille. Yeah, we went through every chapter. I went through every chapter a thousand times and like, you know, changed. we changed every little thing. I think the biggest thing is just that um, things have evolved since I wrote the book. Mm. So there are, things I would, there, there are things I would now teach differently, mm. especially the first, the first couple chapters are basically just the seedlings, for lack of a better word, of the 11 commandments of mastery that we have since developed and we, we talk about a lot at the dojo. Mm. Um, and so like, you know, I would. I think there's going to be another book about the Eleven Commandments at some point mm. uh, because because they're really cool and it's really just some of the early ideas in the book uh, just fleshed out with a lot more and, and it's a lot clearer to me and I think uh, it's a lot more actionable for a student as well. Uh, meanwhile, like so, so the first couple chapters of the book are kind of previews, are you know things that get the juices flowing, but uh, it'll be nice to dig into that a little bit more. In a future mm -hmm. book, and we, you know, and it, by the way, if anybody wants to know about it now, just uh, check out the dojo. It's it's all we. It's something that's all built in already here, mm -hmm. in the Eleven Commandments. I can um, absolutely edit this out later if it's totally inappropriate because I had not thought to ask you this before. But I wonder, since we're going to kind of chunk through the book in a chronological order, and the episodes will come out separated from other conversations as well. What if people who might be reading through it kind of along with us have questions or comments, et cetera? Is there, could they email us? Is there something, is there a way for, for people to say, hey, I, just, I was just reading chapter one. And then as you and I are discussing chapter one, we'd be like, you know what Bob said? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So like, I think the best way uh, to contact us for, ca you know, casual uh, casual questions or observations is just to find us on your social media platform of choice. You could even leave a comment on this YouTube video and we, we'll see it all. Um, there we and go. It'll come through. Uh, if you have more actionable in, or if you need more actionable information, uh, support at pipersdojo.com is a good place to just ask us a question. Uh, or if, you know, if, if you're desperate to get involved, um, just send us an email too. That's always a doable thing. Beautiful. Don't call us though. Don't call us. <laughs> I'll, I will flash your personal phone number across the bottom of the screen <laughs> right there. <laughs> no, yeah. no, we, if you call us, we do get the voice message, but, uh, and we'll get back to you. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're sort of like an online company now. So, so use your, use your keys. For hey everybody, Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo. And I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. 
If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.